If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 606. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And you get great deals on new and forthcoming courses when you're on the email list. I've got a deal going right now. All of my classes go up in price in April 2022. So if you're listening to this before April 2022, if I can get that out today, you're going to get the best deal. You get 25% off if you're on the email list. Once they go up, you're never going to see the classes this inexpensive again. So you're going to want to get that. Plus, the new class, 25 People Who Changed America, is out for pre-order. When it is finally fully launched, the price goes up. So you're going to want to get that, too. Also, you can support the show by clicking on the Support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can click on the Shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And, of course, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. It's a great way to grow the audience. Send me those show requests. I enjoy reading all of them. I don't always respond, but I do enjoy reading them. So... Uh, yesterday, I talked about Jamel Bowie's piece on the Constitution and the states and how the Constitution was designed to destroy the states, essentially, which was not the design of the Constitution. He calls them administrative districts of the, of the center. They're subordinate to the center. This is not how the Constitution was sold to the states. It's not how the Constitution was ratified. Regardless of what Madison said when he went into the Federal Convention, to the Philadelphia Convention, when he came out, He's saying a much different tune because he knew the Constitution he wanted, the National Constitution, didn't happen. So I mentioned in that piece, there's something that Bowie said about the independent state legislature's doctrine. And I had no idea what this is. I mean, this is something, it's a new term. And it's something I think that these progressive nationalist lefties have made up because they're irritated with what happened in the 2020 election. And essentially, it comes down to this. According to the Constitution, the state legislatures determine election rules for the states. And it says that in explicit language in the Constitution. Of course, all these lefties will argue, well, that doesn't mean anything. It just means you have to have due process. So I thought this was an interesting argument. And I went back and then I read this piece that he published on March 11th at uh, the New York Times on this particular issue. So I want to cover that today. Uh, it's entitled, The Supreme Court Did the Right Thing, I'm Still Worried. This is March 11th, Jamel Bowie. And of course, he's coming from this extreme nationalist position. It's going to be all over the place. Just like his last piece, there are some half-truths in this, just like there's some half-lies. And we have to wade through that stuff. So he begins by saying this. State legislatures are, and always have been, creatures of state constitutions, bound by the terms of those constitutions and subject to the judgments of state courts. Well, this is true. However, not every state had judicial review in the early founding period. 
When you look at the Philadelphia Convention, there were some states that didn't have it, and those states that didn't have it were suspicious about judicial review at the federal level, just like they were at the state level. So this is something that's rel a relatively recent development in American constitutionalism. I mean, it, it started happening fairly shortly after these constitutions were ratified, but we also have to remember that not every state had a constitution. They used their colonial charters, at least a couple of states did. They didn't write a constitution until later, till the 19th century. So he says, this has important implications for the nature of state legislative power. The federal constitution may give state legislatures the power to allocate electoral votes and regulate congressional elections. Well, first of all, the federal constitution doesn't give the states anything. The states already had this power. They just simply said that they retain the power in the document. The federal constitution doesn't do anything there. But he says that power is subject to limits imposed by state constitutions. Now, I do agree with this. James Wilson of Pennsylvania made clear that the state legislatures were beholden to the state constitutions. This is true. So if the state legislatures are doing something that's unconstitutional, something I've said many times, well, that doesn't matter because uh, they can't get away with it. There has to be a check even on state power. State power is only unlimited insofar as it is constrained by the state constitutions. So the state constitutions matter. State Bill of Rights matter. All these things matter. So he's correct about this. He's incorrect about the nature of power here. But he's correct the constitutions are supreme even over the state legislatures themselves. So he says, imagine what would happen if, there were, if that were not the case. Imagine instead that state legislatures have plenary power over federal elections, which they do uh, because they actually determine who can vote, who can't vote, as long as it doesn't violate the amendments of the Constitution, race, uh, sex, or age, as long as you're over 18. They can do anything else they want. In fact, it's very clear in the Constitution about this. They set the rules and requirements. They control this stuff. The legislatures control these things. The states control these things. Which would allow them to overrule state courts, ignore a governor's veto, and even nullify an act of Congress. Well, I mean, they, they could if the act of Congress is unconstitutional. State legislatures would, in essence, be sovereign with unchecked power over the fundamental political rights of those citizens who lived within their borders. Well, um, they are sovereign. Now, you could say, and what, the argument he's going to go for here is that you've got a constitution that has checks and balances in it as well for the state legislatures. This is true, right? So if the state legislatures pass a law, then it has to be signed into law by the governor. The extent of the governor's powers are restricted by the Constitution. And then, of course, if you have judicial review at the state level, then the courts can get involved. What the courts cannot do, though, is usurp power that's legislative in nature. They can't do that, nor can a bureaucracy, unless the bureaucracy has given them the power to do this. This is the major question. So he's going to get into this 2020 election, and, of course, the Supreme Court refused to hear a couple of cases dealing with this. So I'm going to talk about that. He says, this change would un both unravel and turn the clock back on our constitutional order, with states acting more like quasi-independent entities they were before the Civil War and less like the subordinate units of national policy. Well, they never have been subordinate units of national policy, even after the Civil War. Nothing changed. We had three amendments to the Constitution, the 13th, 14th, and 15th, but that didn't make none of those amendments made them subordinate units of national policy. Not one of them. So this is a great misconception about the Constitution. The Constitution is the same Constitution. 
Nothing's changed in the structure of the Constitution. It's just you got people like Jamel Bowie running around thinking that, well, everything's changed after the war. Nothing changed. The states still have all the powers they had before the war. Nothing's changed in that regard. He says, but that apparently is what some Republicans want. Recently, Republicans in North Carolina and Pennsylvania asked the U.S. Supreme Court to block congressional maps drawn by their state courts. Their argument was based on a revolutionary doctrine that would tee up this fundamental change in the American political system. Well, first of all, state courts are not elected. Now, I know that sometimes judges are elected. Now, get me wrong. But this is very clear in the, in the Constitution. The legislatures determine these things. And, of course, he's going to attack that. But the legislatures determine these things. Now, if the legislatures punt this responsibility, as long as it doesn't violate the state Constitution, they can do that. Remember, state constitutions are different. States are different. The federal constitution says these are the powers the center has and only these powers. The state constitutions essentially say you can't do these things or you can do these things, but also your power is unlimited. In some states, they need to define the powers. Some state constitutions are completely vague on what the state legislatures can do. Others are a little more restrictive. But essentially, the idea is that you have unlimited power of the states. This is what James Wilson said in his State House Yard speech. The state states are unlimited in their powers insofar as they're not restricted by the Constitution, whereas in the federal model, the, the government is restrained by the powers in the Constitution, can't do anything else. The challenges which failed stem from the effort to gerrymander Democrats out of as much power as possible. In North Carolina, the proposed gerrymander was so egregious that the state Supreme Court ruled that it was a violation of the state's constitution. The court drew a map, new map, to rectify the problem. In Pennsylvania, likewise, state courts drew a new congressional map after Governor Tom Wolf, a Democrat, vetoed the heavily gerrymandered map produced by the Republican-led legislature. Now again, state courts redrawing maps. That shouldn't happen. It can't happen. The legislature should have been returned to the legislature. and they Okay, this is unconstitutional because it did this and this. So the state courts can't draw maps. The legislatures have to do that. The state courts usurp legislative power. Now, if you argue that the state legislatures have punted this responsibility, they've created the apparatus for the state courts to do this, etc., etc., well then, okay... Uh, then that's a problem with the states themselves. I haven't looked in detail into North Carolina or Pennsylvania to see what kind of power these states have punted to the state courts. But regardless, this is an issue that should be left up to the legislatures because these are the people that are elected by the people of, of, as a whole of the state, right? Not a few judges on a court. The North Carolina Supreme Court's rulings and the Pennsylvania governor's veto should have been the last word. Both were acting in accordance with their state constitutions, which bind and structure the actions of the state legislatures in question. For Republicans, wherever these checks on their power are illegitimate, their argument in brief is that neither the state courts nor elected executives have the right to interfere with or challenge the power of state legislatures as it relates to the regulation of federal elections. Nestled at the heart of the Republican argument is a breathtaking claim about the nature of state legislative power. Called the Independent State Legislature Doctrine, it holds that Article 1, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution which states that, quote, the times, manners, and places of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations, except as to the places of choosing senators. Give state legislatures total power to write rules for congressional elections and district, I'm sorry, and direct the appointment of presidential electors, 
unbound by state constitutions, and free from the scrutiny of state courts. So he's saying, look, that was a very confusing paragraph because he, he included the language of the Constitution. But he said this independent state legislature doctrine gives state legislatures total power to write rules for congressional elections and direct the appointment of presidential electors unbound by state constitutions and free from the scrutiny of state courts. Now, if that's the case, you do have to have due process, right? So if the, if the state constitution does say that the legislature passes it, the governor has to, has to sign this legislation. Well, I, there's an issue there. But you could make an argument that the legislatures have to act on this alone. I could make an argument this should be done in convention. Just call a convention and have it do it, then the governor can't do anything about it. But regardless, um, legislature calls a convention, the convention decides, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He says, this isn't a new theory exactly. In his concurring opinion in Bush v. Gore in 2000, joined by Justices Antonin Scalia and Clarence Thomas, Chief Justice William Rehnquist argued that under Article 2, any significant departure from the legislative scheme for appointing presidential electors presents a federal constitutional question. Meaning, in short, that a state court could go beyond its authority in adjudicating state election law. The other two Republican-appointed justices on the court, Anthony Kennedy and Senator Day O'Connor, declined to join Rehnquist's concurrence, even as they voted to stop the counting and give George W. Bush the win. But okay, so, Rehnquist, who really was a good originalist, he was one of the best Supreme Court justices we've ever had, and one of the best chief justices we've ever had, said, look, if there is a departure from the legislative scheme, meaning if courts get involved, then that becomes a real constitutional question. It's something that should be addressed. And, of course, Scalia and Thomas agreed. Well, this is something that should be addressed because this is an issue if the courts are doing this on their own, that's not what it says in the Constitution. So we have to, we have to think about this. For 20 years, the doctrine lay dormant. It was resurrected in 2020 by allies of Donald Trump, who needed some constitutional pretense for their attempt to overturn his defeat. Before the election, a number of state courts had ordered state governments to make accommodations for the pandemic, citing state constitutions. Actually, they weren't really always citing state constitutions. What they were citing is legislation passed during the Cold War, which gave the governments extreme emergency powers. Now, in some cases, this was added to the constitutions of these states, but it was all a Cold War relic. And the issue was not, at the time, an invasion by a foreign army. It was a virus. So, should this have affected elections? We know why they wanted it to. We all know why they wanted it to. They wanted it to because then they could make it easier to engage in some gray area activity. Elsewhere, governors, secretary of state, and state boards of election took matters into their own hands, bypassing the legislature and using their own authority under the law to accommodate voters. Well, again, if the legislatures crafted these laws and this allowed them to do it, well, then that's the shame on the legislatures for doing this. But the legislature should have been involved in this process. When after the election, the Trump campaign sued either to throw out ballots or to invalidate results, its lawyers offered the independent state legislature doctrine as justification. So do did supporters of Trump who wanted Republican legislatures to void election results and choose electors who would give the president a second term. Well, this could have happened, right? I mean, the states could have refused to certify the electoral college. They could have done that. They could have said, no, 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 here's what's going to happen. We don't agree with these election results. We think they're fraud. We're going to send this state of electors. Because, in fact, 
the, uh, the electors are really independent. The basic problem with this doctrine is that it's bunk. Quote, the text of the elections and electors clause is silent as to the role of state constitutions, but the subsequent history is anything but. The legal scholar Michael Weingartner writes in a draft article on the theory of independent state legislatures. Since the founding, state constitutions have both directly regulated federal elections and constrained state legislatures, exercise of their authority under the clauses. What's more, over the past century, quote, nearly every election-related state constitutional provision was either approved and pre presented to voters by state legislatures or placed on the ballot enacted by voters directly. Even if the federal constitution is vague on the full scope of legis state legislative power to regulate elections, both history and practice have fixed the meaning of the relevant clauses in favor of constraint. State constitutions and state courts do, in fact, regulate state legislatures as it relates to election law. So, again... This is the, it's, it's a power question within the state. It depends on the state. It depends on the laws of the state. It depends on the state constitution. What does the state constitution say? He's not citing any of that. Some proponents of the independent state legislature doctrine argue that theirs represents the original understanding of the elections and electors clause in the constitution. Another researcher, Hayward H. Smith, says otherwise. Quote, the history demonstrates beyond civil that the founding generation understood that legislatures would operate as normal legislatures, not independent legislatures, with respect to both procedure and substance. In fact, he notes the review of every state constitution adopted in the 19th century reveals, quote, that both explicit and non-explicit limitations on legislatures were widespread before, during, and after the Civil War. Well, this is, this is also true, right? There, there was this part of it. He says, there's simply no basis for the claim that the Constitution grants state legislatures this kind of unaccountable power over the conduct of federal elections. It runs counter to the basic idea behind the American political system. That is, the sharing and separation of powers among competing and overlapping institutions. Now, let me back up here. He says, there's simply no basis for the claim that the Constitution grants state legislatures this kind of unaccountable power over the conduct of federal elections. Well, maybe. Let me go back, and if you take my Originalist Papers course at McClanahan Academy, let me cite... Just one section from Oliver Ellsworth, November 26, 1787. It says, Landholder number 4. He says, <clears throat> quote, If the honorable gentleman is saying there is no adequate provision for a representation of the people, refers to the manner of choosing them, reply to this is naturally blended with, not with his second objection. Quote, that they have no security for the right of elections. It is impossible to conceive what greater security can be given by any form of words than we find here. The federal representatives are to be chosen by the people. Every freeman is an elector. The same qualifications which enable you to vote for state representatives give you federal voice. It is a right you cannot lose unless you first annihilate the state legislature and declare yourself incapable of electing, which is a degree of infatuation improbable as a second deluge to, the, to drown the world. Your own assemblies are to, form the, are to regulate the formalities of this choice. And unless they betray you, you cannot be betrayed. So he's saying right here, not the courts, not the governor, the assemblies established these laws. This is Oliver Ellsworth of Connecticut saying these things. So to say that there's no evidence for this is to tell a half truth or a half lie or maybe a complete lie. There is evidence for this doctrine in the ratification debates, and in the public documents, and that's just one example. I didn't want to go through and find every single one. Just one example of this. 
There is evidence that this is true, that the, state, the independent state legislature clause or doctrine is true. There's evidence there. Bowie says, thankfully, the Supreme Court rejected the challenge from Republicans in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Still, there may be four votes for the theory of an independent state legislature and a 2020 dissent from the majority on the question of whether Pennsylvania should count certain mail-in ballots. Justices Thomas, Alito, and Brett Kavanaugh appeared sympathetic to the doctrine. Justice Neil Gorsuch endorsed it outright, writing that the Constitution provides that state legislatures, not federal judges, not state judges, not state governors, not other state officials bear primary responsibility for setting election rules. This is exactly true. Now, the legislature set the rules, okay? In due process, if the governor vetoes it, then you, you could make an argument that that's, the governor's not setting the rules, he's vetoing the decision of the legislature. However, state courts drawing legislative districts should never happen. That should never happen. The state court should never have that kind of power. It should have been sent back to the legislature. They should have redrawn the districts in accordance with the wishes of the court and gone on with it. It is unclear whether, where the newest justice, the Trump appointee Amy Coney Barrett, stands on the doctrine, although she appears to have voted with the majority in these particular cases. It is a good thing, Bowie says, that the Supreme Court has decided not to throw out more than 230 years of precedent and practice for the sake of a bizarre and anti-democratic reading of the Constitution. But previous Supreme Courts have endorsed bizarre and anti-democratic readings of the Constitution. The Constitution itself has an uneasy relationship with American democracy. And this court especially has been more hostile than friendly to the more expansive view of our democratic rights. We can breathe a sigh of relief for now. But when it comes to the future of the independent state legislature doctrine, the worst may still be on the horizon. <gasps> the worst may be on the horizon. This is just kind of silly talk. It is silly talk. I mean, Bowie is, is unnecessarily dramatic. But I like this, this discussion because you, I can point out some things that he gets entirely wrong in this. I just don't, he doesn't really know what he's talking about a whole lot. It's, it's kind of funny. Um, but here he's saying something that's completely not true that, well, nobody in the States ever thought about this. You sure about that? Are you sure about that? Now, I mean, you could say, well, there can still be due process and you can still be constrained by the governor's veto. And if the state Supreme Court declares it unconstitutional, well, the legislature should have been, uh, it should have been their job to go redraw the districts, not to have the court go in and say, we're going to redraw it and here's how you're going to agree with it. The courts don't have that kind of power. It's very clear that nobody in the founding generation really wanted the court to have this kind of power, but it's what we got anyways. And it's what people want at the federal level. And it's very, very dangerous. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Coming a little late on Tuesday, but I got it in. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then. <laughs>